Welcome to The Picklist, the podcast for curious food industry minds. I'm Julia Glotz, a writer, editor, and consultant specializing in food and drink. Every week, I'm joined by an expert guest to discuss the news, trends, and developments shaping food and grocery retail right now. You'll get a personal perspective on how business leaders and leading thinkers from different parts of our industry are making sense of the big issues. My guests will also share what's on their personal reading list, bringing you a curated selection of thought-provoking articles from the trade press, national media, and other titles. You can find links to all the articles and suggestions for further reading in the episode show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. Now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of The Picklist. I hope you're having a good week. It's the season finale and we're seeing season six out with a bang with this week's guest, Kevin Yu, Chief Executive of SideChef. SideChef is in the business of recipe inspiration and shoppable recipes. They have a huge database of recipes and step-by-step cooking instructions, and they partner with big FMCG brands, retailers, and appliance makers to make home cooking and meal planning as easy and accessible to people as possible. They're mainly active in the US at the moment, but they are coming to Europe, so really interesting company to keep an eye on. I talk to Kevin about how people's behavior around recipes and meal planning is changing in a cost of living crisis and how things like recipes can encourage consumers to waste less food and make more sustainable meal choices. Kevin's own background is in video gaming and you'll hear him talk about his experience designing cool dragon slaying quests and magic for users. And so he brings a really interesting and different perspective to problem solving and innovation than you'll typically find in grocery. Enjoy the show. Kevin, welcome to The Picklist. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for having me. Love, uh, you know, your podcast from before. I think you're doing some great things here. Thank you. We're recording this on Monday, the 1st of August, 2022. What are you up to this week? What's on your plate? Wow, it's uh, it's been a lot of uh, travel right now, meeting lots of different companies uh, around the food ecosystem, and uh, it's great to see you know a lot of companies engaging on how to how to create what the future of home cooking could look like. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time with those leaders and uh, working with them to to solve some of the problems, and I think some of the th- uh, the, the topics that we'll be talking about today. Now, you've already touched on the fact that uh, SideChef, your business, is in the business of home cooking, and you describe it as a home cooking platform. Break that down for us a little bit. What exactly does that mean, and what does SideChef do? Yeah, it's, it's a very uh, classic, I feel like, startup story. Um, we started as a, a step-by-step cooking app that taught people how to cook, or cooking for dummies, to be well. Um, I didn't really know how to cook some, you know, eight years ago, in which uh, having a GPS meets cooking step-by-step where it shows you photos and videos, uh, chop the tomato, mince the, mince the garlic, you know, diced onions, and going through each one, you realize, wow, you know, at least from us, we realize 90% of everybody can make almost anything as long as they followed it step-by-step. There were timers and so forth, somebody guiding them, almost like mom in the back saying, okay, go do that now, go do that. <laughs> you know, the oven thing is ready. Um, so, you know, that's how we started. Um, our app, um, when we first launched, uh, we, we won a uh, best app of the year from, from Google Play and then subsequently a couple of other different uh, um, um, groups like Apple and USA Today um, and so forth. And so that's been really exciting for us. But we also realized fairly quickly that just being able to teach people how to cook wasn't enough in terms of solving this problem of home cooking. 
um, or making that really, really convenient. We realized also getting uh, people their groceries was another big part of it as well, too. Um, and it was a pain in the butt to to have to, you know, go through, do the planning, you know, find, go do an Easter egg hunt, you know, across all the different uh, aisles to be able to find all the ingredients. And then, you know, lo and behold, I mean, sometimes you forget an ingredient or two <laughs> while you're going through that list. Um, so we wanted to make that whole entire process easier. Um, how, what we see as this kind of platform is, um, you know, to have a one destination where people can go to for home cooking and solve that whole entire, call it problem, um, solving what's for dinner um, in one swoop, right? You have this in entertainment, such as Netflix, for, you know, you, you want some you know, movies, uh, shows, right? You want uh, mu uh, music, you have Spotify. If you need a car, you have Uber, Right. And, it, and these didn't exist, call it, you know, 10 to 20 years ago, in which uh, you have one solution for it. Home cooking does not have that solution. I think there's a huge opportunity there. And what's the business model for SignChef? Because the app and, and the recipes and all the resources on there, they're free to use for users, for consumers. Is that right? So how do you then partner with industry to to make money out of this? Totally. I mean, I think with business models, um, they are uh, evolution. Right, very similar to the product experience itself. If people don't use an experience, the business model doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's figuring out what do people engage with, what is actually solving that problem, what is in, you know, allowing people to change their lives for the better and easier way. Um, so I'll say right now the the business model is around um, you know, it's actually free to download app and, and website. Um, and then you're able to have your groceries ordered through these recipes or meal plans and one click, get all the ingredients added in. Um, but we actually have uh, uh, bounties and affiliates that retailers, you know, do for uh, uh, groups like SideChef. Um, but then there's also a lot of opportunity around data um, as well, too, to be able to help users find new products that make sense. Um, let's say if you really love spicy foods, how do you find additional products that can make that one dish, you know, spicy? or fit, you know, your personalized taste. Um, so I think a lot of this is still called Wild West. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to explore with, you know, big uh, players to be able to invent what that future experience looks like. All of this type of, call it whether it's advertising or product placement, should be very contextual. It should make sense for the user, should be welcomed by the user. Um, very similar to kind of Google AdWords, you know, on a basic level, really involved, you know, the ad industry of, of, of showing people uh, uh, related topics to what they were already looking for um, versus something completely unrelated, you know, back in the day on a billboard per se. And who do you typically partner with? I, I know that you've done work with really big retailers in the US like Walmart. You've also partnered with some appliance um, companies, people that make fridges or smart fridges in particular. Who? What's? What does a typical partnership with you guys look like and who generally approaches you with a view to working with you? Yeah, um, I think we're very lucky to, to be working with uh, a lot of the Call it the best or top partners um, in each category. Uh, we do work with CPG companies such as Tyson or Nestle um, or Sunkist, um, Kraft Heinz. Uh, there are lots of these these groups in which they are also very interested in how people's user behavior is changing, particularly you know post uh, uh, the catalyst of, of uh, COVID. Right, a lot of user behavior changed, so they're very interested in that. Um, but we also do work very closely. Um, we just launched. Um, we were a featured partner at uh, Alexa Life. That was just a couple of weeks ago as well, too. Um, 
in which you know Alexa is being built into uh, SideShift itself, so you can actually use Alexa to control the cooking process step by step, um, and to be able to ask uh, Alexa contextual questions around recipes that you would like. Um, have that very conversational, it's very pretty advanced kind of a, a AI kind of a, a conversation right now. Um, and I think you know we also do work with uh, you know their counterparts of like uh, uh, Google Home Hub, uh, Samsung Bixby, uh, Facebook Portal. We are pre-installed onto uh, those experiences as um, you know if you were to ask Bixby for for uh, recipes. Um, and then as you mentioned around the smart kitchen side. Um, and this is where we realize, gosh, we really have to work with the whole entire ecosystem because we truly want to build that one-stop shop, you know, to be able to solve those problems. You have to work with all the existing players to to really come together and find common ground to 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 put in experience in front of users. And uh, on the kitchen side, you know, we work with GE Appliances, LG, Electrolux. Um, uh, the list kind of goes on, Samsung um, uh, and, and so forth, Bosch. Um, so... Uh, yeah, well, we're excited because I believe, you know, once you're able to bring all the parties together, that's where you can start, you know, innovating and figuring out what is, what is the touch point with the user? How do you, how do you build something that is actually useful and what areas do you need? But how do we connect the dots in between? This is where, this is where it is the most exciting in this industry right now. There are lots of people talking about recipe inspiration. There are lots of people who claim to offer uh, shoppable recipes. How is what you're doing different from what other platforms and other providers might be doing? My background is actually um, very different in general than, than the rest of uh, uh, these types of companies. So I worked in video games for roughly around eight years, um, mostly at a, a company called Blizzard Entertainment doing World of Warcraft, you know, both uh, you know, working in in that type of team and, and tackling those quote unquote problems of uh, yeah, of killing dragons and having <laughs> magic explosions and stuff. Um, it's just very different, you know. And oftentimes, I even find myself spending time with uh, product people in in these industries, all the different industries I mentioned. You know, we're in a workshop and we're talking about, hey, what is the problem that we're solving, and and we'll put the one sentence on a board and we'll be like, okay, what's the best ways? What's the ten best ideas to solve that? And already I can tell you, you know, we look at it very differently. Um, you know, in game design, we never said, hey, what is the best, but what is the problem that we are solving? Actually, we're just coming into a room, we're imagining what is the best possible experience that we can come up with in our minds and imagine, right? What does that experience look like? What would, you know, that it would get us excited to go on this adventure for 20 hours to go find this dragon that's hidden in a cave somewhere in some remote place, right? Like, same thing around cooking. What is the best thing we could possibly imagine that this could be, you know, um, so easy and smooth to be able to get all of your groceries, to be able to have the step-by-step cooking, you know, and we see that as, you know, being able to open your app and, and just looking at, here's my go-tos and I can just go ahead and add those to cart and then send those out to the retailer. And I trust these brands and I trust, you know, those recipes because I've done it before. And then what's for dinner is solved in minutes. Versus what it would take right now, hours, you know, for that planning. Even if I do this all the time, right, I still need that shopping list. I still need to go get those groceries, whether online or offline. How do we make that so easy? How do we make eating in as easy as as eating out? Um, you know, when I can just open up a Uber Eats or a DoorDash or so forth, right? So uh, to answer your question, how are we different? You know, it's both the mentality of kind of going in, but also, you know, we have um, what what we have currently, you mentioned shoppable recipes. I think this is a catalyst only. This is a starting catalyst invention. It's like kind of a, an electric engine to Tesla, 
you know, it's great. We actually had electric engines back in gosh, in the 1970s, <laughs> you know, for that we were putting into cars. Um, but really, you know, it's the whole package experience that makes this very accessible and quite frankly, sexy to consumers where they want to talk about it, they want to use it. Um, and, and this is where, you know, we're also finding that meal plans converting into shopability is actually three times the conversion than even a single recipe. And how do we further make this experience more, you know, comfortable and, and less invasive of what people are currently doing. The best experiences don't necessarily augment people's um, user behavior. That was already augmented in COVID. It's how do we um, how do we allow people to do what they're already doing, but faster, better, and with more trust, right? So these are all the elements. I think there's going to be a lot of things done in personalization. I think there's, there's a ton of evolution that's going to happen from shoppable recipes themselves. Um, and we are seeing that with constant testing, you know, um, that that we are are spending with the users because we believe there will be that once one stop destination and we intend to build that. I think I was, it's super interesting that you talk about this difference in mentality that you see in an industry like grocery, for example, versus the gaming industry, where it's at the starting point is what's the problem I need to solve as opposed to what's the coolest thing I could potentially build today. Now that you've obviously spent some time working with people in grocery, what's your assessment of why the starting point is so different? And how do you think the grocery industry could perhaps get some of that creative spark that you might see in an industry like gaming? I, I mean, I, I honestly think your starting question is everything, right? Meaning you have all of these companies uh, have smart, smart people, you know, working there. Um, you know, when we think of even groups like Amazon, we, we joke or Google, you can throw a thousand PhDs at a problem, right? But the question that you ask in the beginning dictates everything else of what's come up with, right? Those are, that's the question that all of these smart people are really kind of doing everything possible to solve or keeps them up at night to solve, right? So I think where you start as a point um, is a complete game changer. There obviously are still real pain points for consumers around planning their meals, making sure, particularly in the current climate, they're planning those meals to budget, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, but that they're able to come up with a range of recipes uh, or a range of dishes that feed their family for an entire week based on whatever values there are. That is still quite a, a big logistical task. People find it quite overwhelming to, to plan for that. Based on what you see in an, from your user base and how people use and sort of interact with your recipes, what are the big pain points for consumers around recipe inspiration and meal planning that still need to be solved? A very good question, Julia. So I actually believe in each segment of this cooking journey, call it inspiration, planning, you know, shopping, the actual cooking, if you want to use smart kitchen IoT, that as well. Each segment of this, it's actually already being, it's already being done quite well. Even an inspiration side, you have all of these content creators, you know, that are able to find their, call it users that, that love their food um, through Instagram, through TikTok, through all these different areas. And that system is already great. You know, people are already finding that content. Um, same thing as the planning, you know, there are different groups in which, you know, you're following after uh, this influencer and you love their plans, you know, whether it's my yoga instructor or it's, you know, my, my, my parents, you know, here's the meal plan uh, that we've been doing for, for, for decades um, or, you know, however you go about it, already, there is already user behavior there. I actually believe 
we don't need to reinvent those things. And then, as mentioned as a common theme, you know, uh, as earlier, I actually think it's how do you connect those things? How do you bridge each piece of that to be seamless into the next? In the, in the influence part, how do you still empower the same influencers, you know, to be able to share that content and have more ways? What if that influencer, they have amazing lasagna or chicken parm and they could share a link, you know, from maybe their TikTok, maybe their, uh, their Instagram. Um, and you click on that link, it adds all of those ingredients already into the cart of that famous lasagna or, you know, Taco Tuesday, that whole entire meal adds in a cart, it has all the step-by-step instructions there. You just send it out to your local Amazon Fresh, Walmart, Kroger's, you know, Target, wherever. Um, and then you get an email back afterwards, you know, that says, hey, you know, you've, you've slated this to, to be a Tuesday's, uh, uh, Taco Tuesday dinner. Here's your step-by-step instructions. Photos and videos are beautiful for that. How do you connect this into one seamless experience? And that's just the first step. That's the foundational, right? Once we connect the dots, it's almost like, you know, video on demand. You, you needed the internet to be a certain speed. You needed, you know, a certain type of uh, catalyst inventions that allowed that, you know, experience to be possible. But then it's building that out, educating users. Um, and I think, you know, that's, you know, that that's where I believe is the largest kind of opportunity. I don't think it's, yeah, I think it's empowering the the the, the leaders that are already within each segment. How do you view the UK grocery market? We've talked a little bit about some of the American companies uh, that, that you work with, and I know the US is a big, big focus for you guys. Um, where does the UK grocery market feature in your plans? And from an outside perspective, how do you view the UK grocery market and the opportunities it presents? Yeah, good, great question. So um, I think there are a lot of leaders in that space in which they are very forward thinking. I actually think the market itself is uh, uh, much more forward thinking on the, the food waste sustainability side, um, that kind of uh, the mindfulness of, of having that incorporated. Um, it is starting to become a global, larger global trend as well. But I do think in many ways the, the UK market is leading it. You know, groups like Ocado or even, you know, legacy groups like uh, Tesco, um, I think they are thinking about these, they are taking action, they're making investments into these, these areas. Um, and that is the first starting point that you really want, because, you know, I remember trying to go, go after and build this kind of shuffle recipe experience, even back call it in 2016, <laughs> which is quite a few years uh, in the past. And I just remember, um, you know, we were, we were working with a company called Instacart at that time. And uh, the grocery penetration, I think was about 1.5% you know, of the whole entire market, that was maybe to double to, to 3% by 2025, you know, so it, it was a very different world in which now it's completely ushered in, <clears throat> completely ushered in until this kind of like new mentality. And I believe like the executives and leadership and each of these teams, and they have digital transformation teams now within, uh, you know, groups, I think within those uh, grocers in, in the UK, I think that's, that's where great things happen. You know, you put a, a, a bunch of smart people in a room together, you have the willingness and the resources to want to be able to do something, you know, then it gets prioritized, then things get made, then failures happen in which we can kind of learn from quickly together and then, and then keep moving forward. So I, I do think, um, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, had conversations with, with all of those groups and then also um, uh, Amazon as well too, that has also opened up a lot of that experience in, in the UK. Um, but again, I think it is the willingness that is going to open up new new types of experiences. I do think um, to be able to deploy these experiences in the UK, obviously it's it's much smaller in terms of territory of or, or land-wise, right, than, um, than the US. Um, it's just a great 
area to pilot and to test. And, you know, there's still a lot of cultural similarities, you know, between the, the UK and the US, um, in which a lot of that can be brought over. So I hope, you know, if anybody's listening on, on that side of the fence over uh, in the UK that, you know, um, we can engage in a conversation to really talk about what are, what are, what are the five things we're going to try, you know, and we're going to nail one of these and it's going to be a complete game changer. So, um, and, and somebody is going to do it. So it might as well be us. Now, you've already touched on sustainability and food waste, which brings us nicely to the first article that you have picked. This one is from Progressive Grocer, and the headline says, How Grocers Are Managing the Large-Scale Problem of Food Waste. This is reporting on various retailer initiatives in the US around tackling food waste. It's primarily focused on retailers, but also covers some other areas. And it's indeed a a very large scale problem. Research suggesting that about 30% of food in US grocery stores is currently thrown away. So there are all sorts of interesting retailer initiatives. Kroger, for example, has a zero hunger, zero waste program that aims to reduce food loss and waste. It's also launched an initiative to measure food waste at household level. Data on food waste is uh, always such a big challenge. Um, And Walmart aims to eliminate food waste by 2025 through better forecasting and ordering tools. And there are, of course, also third-party redistribution services like the Flash Food app, which allows consumers to buy surplus food at a discount. Kevin, you already touched on this. Uh, Food waste is a huge issue here in the UK as well, and arguably the the debate here is a bit more advanced than in places like the US. Um, It's particularly relevant at a time when you have a cost of living crisis and supply chain disruption, meaning there's even more reason to ensure no food goes to waste. What in particular made you pick this article? What stood out to you? Well, this article, I think, was, um, was a classic here are all of the problems, right? Here are all the problems with every single stat that is there. Um, it actually would highlight kind of how our thinking about some of this is a little bit different. Um, I think this is a great article um, showing the need. I mean, heck, this is the stuff I would show our investors or, you know, retail partners. And like, this is why there is the problem, right? But to be honest, in terms of driving a solution, it would actually be very, very different. Um, you know, and, and I would use this as an example of, hey, you know, even towards uh, the bottom, you know, with all these different groups, I think it's great that lots of people are solving each individual problem. They're picking and choosing, hey, what can I control? What can I tackle? You know, everything from the call it misfit market, right, and perfect foods of, hey, here are grocery, groceries that aren't being used, right? Um, and, and how can we sell those or resell those and, and tackle each problem? That's not wrong. Right. I think this is this is great. And, and people are, are against a lot of interest. But how we would look at, you know, an article such as this, it's looking at this as themes. You know, well, there are problems around over ordering and, you know, lack of call it the plan. You know, when, even when I order at a retail uh, uh, in, in, in a retail segment. Right. Um, I go to the grocery stores. It's common where I just start picking out a couple of, you know, uh, um, ingredients that I don't necessarily need. I saw this is on sale. I put this into the cart. Or, you know, um, this is this new brand that I love. I'm going to figure out a way to use that. Or, you know, last minute shopping, you know, where you're just you're pulling in, 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 the, in the line at which you're waiting, right? All of this, um, it's more thinking about what can the new, ex- what can an experience look like? It's imagining, right? What can an experience look like that people are getting their groceries done and already have a plan to be able to use those better? 
while reducing on food waste. What does that experience, how can you imagine something that checks all of those boxes all at once, right? So it's not looking at each individual. It's actually soaking the whole thing in in a holistic way and feeling like here's all of the different problems. And then to start imagining, you know, three or four different user experiences. And then that's really cool. I can see myself doing that and then work backwards and be like, hey, the four solutions I came up with, do they start solving some of these problems, right? Secondly, asking, does it solve the problem? First, thinking about what is the cool experience, right? Maybe that has led us to, to a couple of ideas. One of them that we have deployed um, kind of our 1.0 version is called Zero Waste Grocer. What if when you select your first recipe in this kind of planning, we'll show you other recipes that use up the same you know, ingredients. Let's say the first one uses five of 10 eggs. You know, we'll show you other recipes that use the other five of 10 eggs. And it will naturally drop your cost per serving, you know, down um, uh, because you're reusing similar ingredients. If you're using reusing two or three or four, you know, uh, similar ingredients, that whole cost per serving will go down. Um, and then, you know, that is increasing your kind of sustainability. And why not add a sustainability score there that also makes you feel good about the decision that you made to be less wasteful? And then maybe with a sustainability score, you also have a couple of bullet points there where you're like, hey, do you want to increase the state sustainability score from B to an A? You can also do these things, right? And you can also learn these elements. And that's the thing about like games. It's like you, you kind of reward them by doing something fun. And then you start introducing more elements on top, right? But it's at first, it's the fun. It's like, I mean, in a game, you're not even actually doing anything in the real world, right? <laughs> but people are willing to sink hours and hours and to learn a new user behavior. And that's because of that kind of dynamic. Um, uh, there's one example I really loved, which is, um, you know, I believe maybe call it uh, 10 years ago, um, you had a bunch of, you know, Nike execs or Under Armour execs or, you know, people who are like getting together around, you know, boardroom and thinking about how are we going to get more people to run? How are we going to get more people, you know, to, to exercise? Um, whether it's different trending types of exercises or, you know, how are we going to sell more shoes essentially at the end of the day, right? Um, and, you know, the, the funny thing is, you know, they, they started, well, it's not funny. I mean, I think it's great that they, they sponsored marathon, marathons, they did running clubs, you know, they've done all of these different uh, aspects. But on the other side of the world, there was a phenomenon called uh, Pokemon Go, which was a, a game, right, that was on your phone. Um, which also, if you go even further extreme, you know, uh, an IP or with Nintendo, with Pokemon, they've been making games for 10 years, Pokemon 1, 2, 3, 4, you know, uh, blue, gold, uh, diamond, etc. Um, and they just keep using the same model. But it wasn't until they met this catalyst, call it invention, that changed user behavior, which is this GPS ability to walk around into GPS tracking. They brought those two together and then they created this phenomenon now that you know, some of us might know is Pokemon Go, where they had 50 million daily active users. You had people walking around the world who never even, you know, wanted to walk that much, but they were walking because they're incentivized. They wanted to go find this, you know, rare Pokemon. And you had people who like to exercise, who would then exercise more. You know, you had, you know, that is an example of what is something so incredibly cool and exciting that, you know, by default, by de facto, they were walking more. How do we create something that is exciting and makes sense, is seamless, and then by de facto, people are saving money, people are increasing or doing making decisions that are more sustainable? I think those are the key experiences that need to be created. Um, yeah. I think it's super interesting. And I particularly like that you um, mentioned 
the sort of sustainability scoring on this. In the UK, as in many other countries, there's a very live debate around what does good sustainability labelling look like on food products? What kind of information should you make available to consumers? And there's a lot of talk of education, you know, the importance of, of consumer education, making sure people understand the impact of their choices and then guiding them towards more sustainable choices. All of which, just listening to, to your example there of Pokemon Go, of course, sounds super boring and sounds like you're potentially being lectured at as opposed to finding a really fun experience that perhaps as a, as a side effect um, also results in, in people making more sustainable choices. Have you seen anything? Are there any live examples that you think get this right in grocery, that sort of gamification around sustainability? Have you tried that sort of approach on your platform? I think right now, um, the sustainability piece um, in this call it gamification lives or people have tried it within each segment, mm. right? And this is where I actually don't think is as effective. And this is, again, goes back to that theme of we see the largest opportunity around bridging these different segments of the cooking journey and being able to bridge that, you know, how you are planning, how you are purchasing and having a sustainability score that actually brings together multiple factors of that inspiration, what I'm choosing. Have I been making Italian food, you know, quite a bit over the last two weeks? And my, my level of Italian food is kind of leveling up, if you will. Um, or, you know, am I, uh, you know, starting to look at nutrition more seriously for my family and be able to see, you know, that also change week by week? Or maybe it's just seeing photos of my, again, go-to lasagna recipe that that mom has been making for decades and it's all, we can see the changes of it in the photo evolution. It's kind of like when Facebook shows me memories that happened 10 years ago, you know, and wouldn't that be great if that was documented if that was saved, if that was a part of, again, our identity since food is such a part of identity, right? All of these are, are questions. How do we create an experience that encompasses all of that, right? They're not necessarily problems, but they are a, a, um, a it's a potential of, of what can be created. Staying with changes in consumer behavior um, takes us nicely to the article that I was keen to talk to you about. Um, so this is from BuzzFeed and the headline is Cheap Meals During Inflation. I feed my family a five for $100 a week. Here's what a week of groceries and meals looks like for us. Uh, so this is reporting on how Sydney from Colorado does her grocery shopping and the meal planning she does to navigate the cost of living crisis and get the most value out of the food she buys. Her process involves extensive meal planning and recipe research, which is why I was very keen to talk to you about this. Um, and it includes advice like picking ingredients that can be used in multiple meals. You already talked about this from a food waste perspective, building meals around items that are on deal at various supermarkets, building up a store cupboard of essentials and seasonings that can be used week in, week out, and also using online shopping to minimize impulse purchases. All very interesting behaviors that, that sort of link in with some of the stuff we've already talked about. But the real reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because I'm interested in what changes you are seeing on your platform in terms of how people search for recipes, how they plan their meals now that we are facing a cost of living crisis and soaring inflation in many countries. Based on what you're seeing in your data, what strategies are shoppers using to manage their budgets? In many ways, people are still doing the traditional, just kind of adding it up and looking at, okay, well, this is my cost of groceries for that week. But what I love about the article that that you sent out um, 
you know, I've read through this particular one, but then also her whole entire series, uh, City. And then not only that, I've actually jumped on the phone with her about two, three days ago as well, too, because I was so moved by what she was doing, how she was thinking about, um, you know, the challenges she had. Um, and I think there is so much more to be done. Um, even with Side Chef, you know, we do have a meal planner. We can show the cost per serving. You can be able to add all of those into cart. You know, but ideas, you know, the, uh, the logic that she's going through here, everything from when she starts, she's like looking at, um, you know, what are the deals? Uh, what are the, the, the ingredients that are, you know, are on sale right this week? How can I reuse those? Right. That's a piece that is already in, in such as called zero waste grocer. But starting with, you know, what um, pricing changes are there mm. and realizing, wait a second, wait, SideChef already can see the pricing changes between, you know, um, retailers and for each store. And did kale change? Did it drop 5%? Did it increase 5%? You know, and we can see the changes from, from week to week or day to day. Uh, wouldn't that be great if we could show that to people? And then allow them to naturally enter that in. Or if they prioritize that that price or on sales, it will naturally go through the algorithm of prioritizing all the ingredients that are on sale. Show me the recipes that you can make with those. Put those into a meal plan. And once we do this more often, you start building trust with the user, right? Where you're like, okay, SideChef, I trust SideChef to find me those deals and to put that in and to, 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 to um, be able to check out. And that is what speeds up that time. How do we get people's experiences to be just two, three minutes of like, you know, okay, I want those, add those in um, because it reflects my values, right? It reflects the values that are at hand. Um, and so I think that is a big part of that personalization. Um, so yeah, I have loved her article of, you know, picking those ingredients by, by um, using multiple meals, also the, 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 the cost savings, you know, on sale, um, the brands as well that she mentioned, you know, I want, she wanted to use the cheapest brands most of the time, unless mm. it's a brand that she really loved, right? All of this is huge user insight of like, great. We also have brands that you're, you're kind of plopped in there. If you have certain types of brands, we can also stick you with those brands. But then if you wanted, you know, to, to be introduced to new stuff, we can find the right opportunity to be added in. And then also having that be very kid-friendly. In the current version of SideChef, if I were a user in the US like Sydney and I wanted to use SideChef to um, plan my, my meals for the week, do you allow users to set a weekly budget to say, help me plan, you know, uh, five meals for five people and I want my sort of budget to be $120? Are you able to put that dollar amount in there at the moment or is that something you're considering for the future? Technologically, we had to build in a system that allowed people to hit a certain minimum in terms of purchases, right? Mm. Whether it be like Walmart, for instance, $35 minimum. So we track all of that. On the back end, you're able to see the costs and certain minimum and, and all of that. Um, and then we take that technology and then we create new front end experiences, you know, for that. In which you're able to be able to uh, see, okay, if you want to set 100 or 200, today our current version doesn't have that, but it's in our roadmap. And obviously, we talked about Sydney and her particular strategies for, for shopping to a budget. Is there anything that you're seeing across your database or your user base rather at large that shows you that people have become more budget conscious? Are there more searches for recipes with, I don't know, unusual cuts of meat, for example, that might be cheaper? Anything that shows you that people are changing their behavior to manage their budgets? Yeah, uh, definitely zero waste grocer, that experience mm -hmm. of. Um, being able to reuse ingredients has seen a, um, a, a huge uh, trend of use. Um, and I think people are wanting 
to be more cost conscious. I mean, to be really honest too, like even, even those wanting to save, uh, save money, um, having it presented as a food waste piece is very positive as well too. Um, even though we're trying to save and, and sometimes it's not having that put in front of us so much. Um, so it's a much a more positive of- thing, isn't it? If you're, if you're saying you're doing this, you're being smart and you're being sustainability conscious rather than just money's tight. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you, you get to feel good. You feel good when you come up with a plan yourself to be able to reuse five of the different ingredients. You know, that's just super cool. Um, and then you feel good about it. And, and as you're making the dishes too, like, uh, yeah, and you know, you're, you're saving money. So yeah, I, I think there is a, a huge trend towards this It's probably going to, you know, see an uptick even further as the whole world kind of goes through, you know, what is likely to be a recession at this point, or the inflation that we're dealing with. Um, but even up to call it 10% inflation, the truth is, you know, having a plan on how to use things um, will already naturally prevent you from over ordering you know every single ingredient of this has a plan that is massive that is more than the 10 percent in terms of saving the final article we will talk about is one you picked again and this one is from ink and the headline is the true value of pairing qr codes with e-commerce packaging This article essentially argues that every online order comes in some kind of packaging and that packaging is an opportunity to interact with the customer to create some kind of experience and also potentially to gather some data or insight into who the user is, what they respond to, how they can be reached, what platforms they like to be reached on, etc. And that the QR code is a particularly good vehicle for doing that because it's easy to deploy it's relatively cheap to do, and you now have dynamic QR codes that allow you to update the content over time as well. I was intrigued to see you pick this article. Tell me why it stood out to you and what you thought was interesting about it. As an entrepreneur, I look very carefully towards what I consider catalyst inventions or tools. And I believe this is a call it catalyst invention tool, very similar to shoppable recipes that allow you to get one click, add all those pieces to into cart. Um, and the QR codes um, as well, you're able to scan and to be able to get information and to have that change dynamically. So again, I can scan this avocado that has a QR code and see all the nutritional values, but I can also scan and, and be able to get all the recipes I can use with it. Or heck, maybe it can add it straight to cart or it can add all the other ingredients into cart as well by scanning it in a, in a store. And then, you know, all the other aisles, it adds those ingredients and I can just pick it up, you know, at, at the end. And maybe I'm just browsing. It's kind of like a farmer's market and somebody is, you know, actually picking all those up and putting it into a bag perhaps, you know, and that becomes more of an experiential thing. All of this becomes possible. Um, but I've also learned as being an entrepreneur, like, if you don't have that macro level change, similar to 2016, call it online groceries, right? Where, where that user behavior has not changed, it doesn't matter even if you can imagine the most, you know, fun, exciting, you know, engaging type experiences. Um, and this is where QR codes now are a thing. Um, you know, I think Europe adopted it much faster uh, than the, the US, but now post COVID, it's like, okay, well, this, you know, you wanted to be no contact and have, you know, this user experience that people are now, this isn't so sci-fi, it's not so weird, you know, it's not so, right, it, it's the user now, the customer being able to change their mentality. Now that they're open to that behavior, 
we can now really go in and, and dig into all of the potential that this catalyst invention is able to do. Um, so again, getting seasonal in type of ingredients, not to mention, by the way, this is all like very sustainable friendly because, you know, you don't have to have additional packaging. You know, you can put a QR code with, with what's already there, right? You can scan, you can actually even use image recognition to be able to scan avocado as well too, and to be able to pull up that type of information. Um, but, you know, the fact that it can change dynamically is also really cool. As I mentioned, um, seasonal uses of color avocado or is this strawberry in season, right? And how I can add that in or add that directly into my meal plan. Imagine yourself going through the grocery and just scanning a couple of things. I'm like, okay, here are your recently scanned 10 items. Which one do you want to build a plan around? Okay, I want, you know, items one, three, and five, you know, and then it'll suggest me a meal plan. And I'm like, okay, that looks pretty good and have that all added in. Maybe it'll also be like, hey, you know, uh, you know, your husband might also like this and it leaves a little something for, for the family dog a bit too, you know, because it already has your, your personalization, your profile, right? But all through this kind of QR code. Um, and I think it's it's an incredibly powerful way to interact or engage, very similar to kind of going back to now the Pokemon Go example of, you know, that GPS coordinating tracker, you know, to be able to go walk around, right? That is a catalyst invention. You bring that with other ideas in the past or user behavior, and then that's when you can have this explosion, right? It's a trend, you know. So these are things that I look look for as an entrepreneur. Now, we're nearly out of time, but before I let you go, I want to bring it back to SideChef and what's next for you in the second half of the year. Give us a taste of some of the big projects you'll be working on. What are you really excited about in terms of what's next? Yeah. I think uh, for us, we're very excited to be expanding out into Europe. Um, so uh, towards uh, the latter half of this year is when we'll start to see some of that expansion. We have had experiences working with uh, both kitchen manufacturers um, on a global scale, particularly, you know, they call it uh, Electrolux, Bosch, Vizug, um, several you know, companies through, through uh, Europe um, and localizing kind of experiences there. But to be able to add the grocery retail component, I think it's huge. You know, I think what we piloted or, or call it, you know, started out this experience of shoppable recipes and shoppable meal plans and so forth uh, in, in the U.S., which is, you know, started to gain pretty good steam. I think the first half of this year, we, we sent about 2.7 million uh, orders out to these retailers. So that is a growing kind of number. And that's exciting for us. And we believe that in Europe, there is just, you know, similar um, opportunity. But what I actually love more is. You know, a lot of these companies from from ones I've talked to, um, they are more forward thinking and more bullish on trying out these experiences. And I, I cannot stress enough having the partners with the right mentality, right DNA to be able to try these experiences where we can bring in the puzzle pieces that we have that are different, you know, to build those, um, I think is really, really key. Um, and I do think it's one of those one experience will then change the whole entire landscape. And which European country do you think will be able to see you pop up in first? Are you able to share with us where you're going to launch? I think, uh, let's just say we have some very great partners uh, in the UK, uh, in Germany, um, some of the Nordics, um, also in uh, Italy, Germany. Uh, yeah, yeah, mentioned Germany. So uh, Switzerland as well. So I think, uh, you know, any of these groups, uh, they're all um, very forward thinking. We're excited to, to, to be there soon. Fantastic. Well, we'll keep a very close eye to see where you're going to pop up next. Kevin, if people want to connect with you, find out more about what you do at SlideChef, what's the best way to do that? 
Um, I think uh, really just uh, go to our website, you know, sideshift.com. We have the website. We have uh, our free app on Android and iOS. Um, check us out there. Um, and yeah, uh, would love for you guys to kind of reach out. Um, anybody who's looking to partner, I, I have, I travel all around the world. I'm in the middle of this travel right now uh, to meet with teams, meet with executive groups, doing workshops, so forth. Um, you know, you can also email me at uh, kevin at sideshift.com. Super. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show and being my guest. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and found it useful. If you did, please consider giving The Picklist a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening and leave a review. It tells me you're enjoying the show and would like it to continue, and it helps me reach more listeners. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn at juliaglotz.com and on thepicklist.co.uk. And if you'd like more thought-provoking reads for your personal reading list, please subscribe to The Trim, my free weekly newsletter at juliaglotz.com forward slash newsletter. See you next time.